Welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's The Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. Keith? Second time's a charm. That's right. How are you doing? I'm still going to ask it, even though it was a little awkward the first time. <laughs> uh, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Uh, Great. I'm going to continue the trend that we started a few episodes ago of acknowledging someone that has uh, reviewed us positively in iTunes, and this week it is someone named Emily Stark. She left us a very nice review, and we'd like to say thank you for that. Um, and I know we talked about before that uh, we do realize there are other podcast directories, but iTunes is probably the most visible one. So if you have left us a review in some other outlet that we don't know about or haven't acknowledged, you know, you can send us an email or whatever, and uh, we'll gladly read that on one of the shows. Um, and something else we've been doing is sort of trying to catch up on anything we missed from the last episode or anything that has come up uh since the last episode and I read something a little bit earlier that uh, this wasn't really the focus of the article but that it was mentioned off offhanded and I thought it was kind of interesting and the question is more or less why is Wayne and his cult being targeted so aggressively by the government like is it just like a is it just like a the government's just trying to wipe out all cults thing because mm-hmm. outside of possibly sleeping with underage girls right it doesn't really seem like he's doing anything yeah right? well hey don't downplay sleeping with underage well, and i'm girls. not i'm not but but that is also alleged right like has that been established in the show i think that was always just kind of assumed right that he sleeps with underage girls that they're underage oh uh yeah i mean i haven't seen any ids right be held up to the camera <laughs> yeah. yet yeah but I just thought that was an interesting question. And I think actually it could play into maybe some stuff we'll talk a, a little bit later. But, uh, you know, if if the show does end up going down this sort of uh, path of like Wayne is like somehow fathering the Antichrist or mm-hmm. some sort of or multiple Antichrists, right? Like that, you know, it could play into the government's trying to the government's tracking them or whatever. I think that could explain it too. Uh, are are you seeing that maybe the government has a clearer picture of Wayne's <laughs> overall goals, even who knows? his uh, his followers? I, I mean, who knows? I think that also leads to my feelings on this show Uh-oh. after this episode. It's this kind of like, like who knows? This is right? like the real world. This is when things <laughs> start to get real. Yeah, we stop being nice. Episode seven, and Justin gets real. Yeah. So with that, was there anything that you could think of? In terms of in terms of something we missed or anything that was brought to your week, attention since last week, no, um, no, nothing that I really um, inc- worth kind of talking about. Okay, other than my article that I didn't write. Uh, yeah, well, you know, that's understandable. It happens. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, episode seven, titled "Solace for Tired Feet." It's you sound annoyed. <laughs> well, I'm annoyed in the sense of like the same th- same issues that I had with the entire episode is like, what does it mean? Like there's no clear cut connection for the title that I feel like. Like no one gets any sort of rest in this episode, right? You know what I mean? Like I, if you if you apply it to I think the most direct uh, pairing in the show, you're talking about um, Tommy and Christine, right? But they're not really resting. 
you know, they're traveling across the country. Apparently they've been in Gary, Indiana for the past two months, but they're also like in an abandoned warehouse. Christine is pregnant, like super pregnant slash potentially really sick. I really consider that solace. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she's on bed rest. Yeah. So maybe it should be called forced solace for tired feet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it just is one of those things. We had a couple, you know, where the, where the episode titles was kind of a big deal figuring them out. And then we had a couple where it was just like, it's pretty obvious what this is. And now we're kind of, uh, I don't know where we're at. Are we, are we back? We're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Somewhere where it's not as clear to figure out. It's also not, it's, it's uh, just vague enough, but it sounds like you don't care to find out the answer. (laughs) I, I, well, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I think that's probably a byproduct of the episode as a whole. All right. It's not that I texted you this a little bit earlier. It's not that I didn't like the episode. I thought the episode was okay. Yeah. But after sitting down and trying to make notes and try and figure out what the episode told us and what the episode didn't tell us, it just be, got so frustrating. And it just is like this episode, uh, it, 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 a lot happened while nothing happened you know what i mean like all of a sudden we're sort of going along in the series where nothing is really happening in any of the episodes i feel like outside of the two character driven shows and then all of a sudden you get this episode that is just more or less like a it's like a mystery dump it just is like here's all of our mysteries and we're gonna throw them at you in one episode and it just is like i don't know like i don't expect much in the way of questions being answered because first of all there's only three episodes left in this season and because of the pedigree not to harp on that you know like everybody does but it just is so and even going through the notes i try and usually like break them down in sort of a theme or a common theme or something and i just couldn't do anything so i've just got more or less like you know we'll just talk about sort of the main the focus on the characters in the episode. Yeah, and I, I guess I'll say this just as a overarching idea. You know, one of the issues that you would have, like, uh, with Lost, especially, you'd have some character-centric, you know, um, characters. But, you know, anytime, any, anytime they start hopping around different characters or things like that, yeah, those episodes were a little more exciting or intriguing. I think because a lot of times people cared about the characters, not all of right. them, but some more than others. And I guess one of the question questions that we need to ask is, what character do we really care to see right. in this show? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, if Kevin Garvey is just going to angrily yell the F word at everybody who comes across right. you know, his path, and Jill is just going to constantly be a disgruntled, you know, angry teenager... Uh, you know, and, and some of these people have reason to be with the departure, but again, I don't like the fact that they're not giving us context yet. Still, we still don't have previous iterations of these people to cast their current, you know, situation against, and we're not really, you know, going plunging into the deep end of this crazy show you know it's not twin peaks right and just getting more and more bizarre and absurd and interesting we're kind of hovering in this plateau you know looking at different areas we're on the same level we're just moving to a different area Well, it's a weird middle ground 
to weird middle ground. And so what are they going to do moving forward, I guess, is our big question. Yeah, and something I had written down for later is, you know, Damon Lindelof talked about in his interviews, and I guess Tom Parada too, about how it's going to be a character study of grief. And, and we've gotten that in two episodes, right? The two, best and Nora, the two best episodes. So when that, when the show is doing that, what they said it was going to doing, that's when it's at its best. It works. It works really well. But then you have these, you have arguably the main character of Kevin Garvey Jr. And when you have episodes that are maybe not focused on him, but following him, it's, it, the focus of the episode feels more about the mystery of the town and what's going on rather Not than a character story or a character study of Kevin Garvey's grief and his family's grief right. or what he's experiencing. So that's why it's is I think that's why it's stuck in the middle ground, because it's like even in no, like Nora's episode, you have some mysteries, mysteries, quote unquote, introduced like at the beginning um like the like the question 121 which you really liked i when it was introduced it bothered me cuz i mm-hmm. thought it's going to be something that's not answered and then it gets answered right so in the course of this episode you have a completed arc more or less yeah. and you know more about nora yeah. and you can move on and in in 7 episodes of this show five arguably five of which focus or at least follow around kevin garvey I don't know anything about him. Like, I don't know if he's going crazy. I know he might be. I don't know. I know that he had an affair. I don't know who it was with. I don't know when it was. I don't know if his wife knows about it. I don't know if his kids know about it. They're just like, you don't know anything. You don't know if he's just like an angry person or if he's angry because of the departure. You don't know if he's going crazy because... His family has a history of going crazy because you don't know if his dad went crazy because of the departure or what. Like you just, you just don't know anything about these characters. Seven episodes in, yeah. And so it just is like, and so then to get through this episode and you're getting a this just a dump of questions. It just is like, ah, it just is frustrating for me. It's not what I. It's not. It it's you didn't it's, sign up for this. It's disappointing, yeah. Okay. It's a little disappointing. But anyways, we'll get into to sort of the the what's happened in the episode. And I want to start with I think probably the most prominent story, uh the most prominent storyline of the episode or the most prominent appearance is Kevin Garvey Sr. So he he escapes from the hospital. Uh and apparently his whole mission upon escaping is to obtain and deliver this May 1972 edition of National Geographic magazine to Kevin Garvey, his son. Really quick, and this is just a side question that just popped in my head. Do you think the $200 in the National Geographic were linked? Did he find some way to get that specific one for $200? I think so. Yeah, because I, and I think too, I haven't followed on, I haven't followed them, but there's been a bunch of links after the episode came out of like people selling them on eBay or something or whatever. So I'm sure that's what the 200, I'm pretty sure that's what the $200 was for. He found some way to, I don't know. Get it for $200. Yeah. Who knows? Black market, national geographic channel. Um, but they seem to be going back to, 
during the diner scene, um, when a senior is talking to junior, he says something along the lines of the whistle blew three years ago. Right. The game has started or something like that. So they seem to be at least uh, intimating that uh, senior believes it was the rapture. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like my whole takeaway from this episode was it was the rapture. Right? <laughs> like this show is about the rapture. Right. There's no way the show is not about the rapture. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess. And this was true and lost, and I hate to keep bringing up that show, but I had much more patience for it than you did. Yeah, and I think we should say with Lost, you watched the whole thing. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. I don't even remember when I stopped watching, but I, I, I think I was... How many seasons were there? Six? Six. Maybe I got to like season five. I'm yeah. not sure, but I stopped watching eventually for all of these reasons. I just felt like exactly. it wasn't going anywhere. I think I think that I have a higher tolerance level for for the mysteries and I feel like I'm I'm okay with where we're at. I won't be okay if we get to the end of this season. If this episode ended the season or something or something like it, I think I'd be I'd be with you. Yeah. Um so I think I don't know. Is it the rapture? Is it not? Are they going to now pull back from the crazy? Are they going to, are they just letting out the line, letting us run with it for a little bit? And then they're going to snag us back and be like, he is crazy. And you know, a scientific explanation rules the day, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of my next question is, do you think Kevin Garvey senior is crazy? I keep going we've we've tried to dissect um some of the intentions of the writers in some of the the previous episodes mm-hmm. and I in a previous episode have declared that I feel like they've made it pretty clear that this is a universe in the show that exists with a god mm-hmm. who is at work and that's why I saw in Matt's character mm-hmm. that either the we are watching a show where the writers don't care about tipping their hand and they're like, we are moving this chess piece called Matt and that's fine that you see us doing it right. because we're telling a really good story or it's this divine being who's having a play. I have already kind of staked, you know, put my flag in the ground of the supernatural in this universe and that was a big shift for me. I thought going into this, I was pretty sure that this show would not be about religion as much right. as it is. So that was kind of, you know, at first difficult for me to do. Now that I firmly planted my flag in the supernatural idea, I do have to kind of go along with this idea of, no, he's not crazy. I mean, right. maybe he's been driven crazy by this gift or whatever, this curse that he has on him. But I keep going back to that verse that I referenced in Acts where it's like in the end times, you know, your young men will, you know, uh, dream dreams and your old men will uh, or your young men will prophesy and your old men will, will dream dreams, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of feel like that is that's at play. You see <clears throat> young and old, junior and senior, right, having dreams and prophesying and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just I'm seeing more and more of this religious identity. I I, yeah. I guess I have to kind of 
you know, end up there because that's that's where I declared after Matt's episode. Yeah, and, and I think you really can't argue with it with the show just because, you know, he's hearing voices. He finds this mag, you know, he shows up in the middle of the woods at the nick of time yeah. to save his granddaughter. Like, yeah. he's he's the things he's experiencing are tangible for other people around him. He's not the only one. I mean, outside, yeah, obviously, he's the only one hearing the voices, but they're obviously telling him things that he wouldn't know otherwise. Right. right? And, and that was one question I had for you. And I found it was one of the first things I wrote in my notes when I was watching the episode. As soon as a senior shows up in the woods, I'm like, okay, coincidence. Like, it has right. now become a plot point. Some They're saying something because you have the hunter showing up just randomly oh i'm killing dogs right by uh the guilty remnant you know in the woods here yeah and you have um seniors showing up right at the right time in the woods what and then later on in the in the episode i wrote down some of these quotes there's a policeman who is talking to kevin uh jr and he's like so your daughter saw him huh that's pretty weird He's like, what are yeah. the odds? Yeah, yeah, he's like, what are the odds that your daughter would see him in the woods? Yeah. And then later on, um, Jill is talking to her grandfather, and she's like, how did you know? He said, I didn't. And she basically calls him out on it. So yeah. I'm like, two other times they directly reference the fact that that first one was not an easy coincidence. Do you buy that? Do you buy that the that the writers are are saying that there's a supernatural explanation? Or do you think the writers are trying to say, hey, look, we're acknowledging it. Let's everybody move on. It's one of those things where, you know, I feel like some writers feel like they have coverage if they just say like, you know, like this is a sequel. You know what a sequel's going to do? And they do exactly that, but they feel like they're covered because they've... I think it will be handled it. in the same way it was handled in Lost, whereas it's never answered explicitly, but they just bring it eventually up. you find out what is going on with... Kevin Garvey senior. And then you have to extrapolate. Oh, that's why he did this. That's why he found Jill in the woods. You know what I mean? Do, do you think that the coincidence, the, the coincidental, uh, coincidental? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's it? right. Is that a right word? Oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, do you think that the appearance of senior and the hunter are, have the same amount of intent? Or do you think that the Hunter's appearances are a little more arbitrary? It's just like the writers want him there, you know, to, to bump into Kevin again. So they write him in. Or do you think they, well, they're being intentional about all these just kind of odd appearances? I think it's all intentional. But again, we, okay. we also don't know much about the Hunter. Exactly. You know, I mean, we know less about the Hunter than we knew than we do pretty much anybody else. He's just this. I mean, we know we know enough about the Hunter like. At, at one point, a lot of people thought he was just imaginary. You know what I mean? Well, and, I did. <laughs> and, right, right. And now we know that he's real because some other people... But we that's all you know. That's the literally... The only thing you know about a character that has been in at, you know five or six out of the seven episodes is that he's a real person right. in the town. Like That's literally the only thing you know about him. Right. You don't know anything else about him. You don't know why he's hunting dogs. We just, we just need to come up with really stock like nicknames for all these characters yeah until well, they give us a reason not yeah but we need to call him like ghost hunter or right. something <laughs> yeah. yeah so and one of the one of the uh so kevin senior's uh whole uh 
plot really hinges on this National Geographic magazine. So, of course, it has been uh, poured over and analyzed and pulled apart all on the Internet. So I'm so I'm, I'm going to run down a few of these things that people have discovered about the magazine okay. itself. I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so that on, on the the uh, on the cover, there's a headline that mentions Cairo, Egypt. Right. Cairo is also spoken on Kevin uh, Jr.'s CB radio or uh, walkie talkie as he's going to answer the door either before his dream sequence starts or maybe like I'm kind of thinking like maybe that's like when his dream sequence starts. Cairo right? said, yeah, when Cairo starts being repeated. Yeah. Uh, also, the the burner that HBO or that the watchers sent me, I think right after the episode, they they sent uh, they texted everyone a pair of uh, coordinates, uh, you know, lat, lat, latitudinal and longitudinal coordinates. And they were for Cairo, Egypt. Right. Just like a like it was literally like the middle of a highway in Cairo, Egypt. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, <clears throat> they're pointing to Cairo. Right. And then we know that episode eight is titled Cairo. So again, we've been given this thing. We know Cairo is involved somehow. And again, you know, this is only being introduced in this episode. It's not like a series long mystery, but you know, we've been given this thing. We have no idea what it is. The other thing that's coming up. <clears throat> one of the stories in the magazine is about uh, the Minoans, which is an ancient civilization that uh, disappeared. Yeah. Right. And when I was reading um, Brandon Ambrosino's article for Vox, I thought, I think that he mentioned, or I, it, maybe it wasn't his article specifically, but I read somewhere that um, uh, a lot of people thought that they uh, had contracted some kind of disease that killed them off. Yeah, he 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 put that. Did in he there, say that? And he said but it was I, almost like some people thought that they it was a disappearance. Right, but I think that's wrong. From from what I read afterwards, I looked it up separately. The common belief seems to be that um, they were invaded by another tribe or whatever mm -hmm. by another civilization and just wiped off the map basically but the connection is that here is a here is a civilization that existed and then essentially disappeared right and no one is really sure of what happened to them right so there's the connection if it's any deeper than that again we don't know yet but there's some kind of connection there um there's also a story in the magazine called the spider that lives underwater and it's all about this one type of spider that spends almost its entire life living exclusively underwater. The connection to the show outside of it just being in the magazine is that when Christine is waking up from her dream or whatever, I think it's at the beginning, she says something about a spider living underwater. Again, don't know what it there means, it is. but there's the connection. Um, and then there's been various other things. Someone on Reddit had the, magazine mailed to them from the same watchers group that sent out all the cell phones and they're posting different advertisements some of them connected to lost but then they they had one that also showed like it was just like a photo from the magazine of like a couple deer standing in the middle of the road right which is obviously uh reminiscent of imagery that's been in the show so far um and my my question about this is how integral is this one issue of National Geographic going to be for because it's more or less the focus of this episode <laughs> yeah. and i imagine it would be 
the catalyst for the final three episodes, maybe? Like, Well, the next episode is called Cairo, right? <laughs> right. I mean, they're putting such a heavy emphasis on this. On this. And there are... I just named three separate things that it's tying into. And those three separate things also, like, like Wayne and Christine and Tommy have no relevance to this magazine or to Kevin Sr. that we know of. You know what I mean? So this is a... Uh, prop more or less that has been connected to every corner of the show basically and my 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 biggest question is kind of like it it's to me it seems it just is weird to have one magazine one sort of obscure magazine from the 70s that is uh, that is uh, sort of birthing all of the ideas for your television show, right? It seems a little like lazy is not the right word. Pat. It just seems we. It seems like a weird decision, right? Like, yeah. Like you're you. There's I. I feel like there's two scenarios. You're either, um, like for some reason, Lindelof is either like obsessed with this issue of National Geographic, and has decided to um, pull as many ideas out of it as possible and throw them into this show, which, and and I should say, both of these scenarios seem horrible to me. Well, I, I will I will say this. I do feel like along with J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, I think they're bringing this new kind of storytelling methodology idea mm-hmm. with them. And it's the idea of a cipher. Right. Mm -hmm. Or of maybe a code to be decoded. And so you have think about Lost, right? Fringe that kind of played with some of the same ideas. I remember watching. I never watched Fringe really, but but I saw a few episodes. But remember, I said go in and out of um, commercial breaks. They'd flash images on the screen. Oh, really? Yeah. Like an insect or like a Mm -hmm. butterfly or whatever. And, you know, you have these, like, ideas of, like, the, these ciphers or these images that represent, or you have these ideas of a multimedia approach to your storytelling. Yeah. How many times have you heard from Quentin Tarantino all the way down to Richard Kelly, right, with... Um, the comic book. So- yeah, Southland Tales or whatever, where they're like, we are doing a comic book, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing a book, we're doing all this stuff. This multimedia approach. And I feel like... Lindelof has this idea too where you know you need a reference point you need this kind of cipher you know um item you know this this kind of it's also this quest idea right that this one item will unlock these other items as an Indiana Jones type of idea yeah and you're you're layering your 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 plot and you're not just telling a linear story but you're telling it through these different prisms I feel like this National Geographic is the perfect idea of like that just everyday item that you're imbibing with all this meaning, this portent or whatever. Right. And and that becomes the cipher of your storytelling, you know, or that becomes the emblem, however you, you want to think about it. Um, and that to me just seems like, like a way of storytelling more than it does that this actual magazine has a, a in and of itself like a meaning this national geographic is a key that will then unlock the next stage of the storytelling you know i feel like that's i feel like that's 
all in this just idea of storytelling. And that's that's me kind of theorizing based on the television I've watched from these people, you know, the books that I've read. Like I'm reading J.J. Abrams' um, S book, right. which is full of that stuff. It yeah. comes with a decoder. It comes with all this stuff packed in that's telling a story within a story and around a story. And honestly, I'm finding that book exhausting. Yeah, and uh, and so I I do I I just think that it's the way that these people tell stories. I think so. I'll be I'll be interested, you know, in what Damon Lindelof does with this magazine. But I'll be shocked if it's anything more than, you know, as they're reading, they're starting to see these connections and they're going to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. The magazine is not an endpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, some of that too is, and we'll, I'll talk about, all about this a little bit later, but. Some some of it is, you know, how much are we, how much should we be reading into it and how much is it Everything. Just, right. We should be reading everything into it. Right. That's all we should be talking about. Okay, so mo- moving on. Moving on from the magazine. The next, uh, the, the other set of characters that we get a lot of, uh, we spend a lot of time with in this episode is, is uh, Tommy and Christine and sort of... Uh, and sort of uh, Wayne as their right. They serve as Wayne's proxy, more or less. You you get more of inside of what Wayne is trying to do. Um, but anyways, y- y- we see that Christine is, uh, they say, eight months pregnant. Um, she eventually gives birth to what becomes a girl. To to what to what it ends is up a being a girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She and later becomes a girl. She gives birth. It later becomes a girl. <laughs> Despite Wayne the entire time saying it's going to be a boy. Right. Um, and they also, um, well, well, Tommy then discovers after dropping off uh, money that Wayne has told him to drop off. He follows the person picking up the money home or to their hotel, discovers that he's, they're more or less a, a double of what him and Christine are doing. Yeah. And, um, they find out that that uh, Wayne has been telling them the same thing, yep. uh, telling them that it's a boy and referring to the baby as a bridge, which I think is might be the most interesting yes. aspect of it all. It's like, what does that mean? What to you? What do you, does the does that does that mean anything to you? Do you get any meaning from it, or is it just like another sort of code word that will eventually be? I mean, I'm sure it'll eventually be explained, but did yeah. anything jump out to you about that? I mean, I guess I go back to the. Uh, the episode, the BJ and the AC, you know, mm-hmm. that Wayne is seeing this as, you know, what, what we would see as the Antichrist. Um, you know, the, the potentially the child that will grow into what will look like Christ, but not be. So well, not, you don't think Wayne sees it as the Antichrist? Do I don't you? think. I don't think Wayne sees it that way. I think Wayne sees it as a savior, yeah. which is what makes it the Antichrist. Well, well okay, th- th- this is what I'll say. <clears throat> I, I do ultimately feel that way, but one thing that's that is getting to me too mm-hmm. is the lack of religious foundation that some of these people have mm-hmm. in response to a belief in in a supernatural event, right? So in Wayne, when he's talking about, you know, the child or whatever, when he's finally talking to Tommy, he all of a sudden just goes in into a diversion of asking Tommy if he's had sex with her yet. Yeah. And not only that, but going into graphic detail of, 
what I, what have you done? You yeah. know? And you're just like, this is such a perverted thing for someone to be saying and thinking while also be viewing himself as an integral key in this spiritual play that's, right. that's happening. So part of me thinks that is he more malevolent than he lets on, you know, or is he, is he being transformed by this experience? And you kind of have the idea of almost like he's in this cocoon, right? He's, he's calling Tommy from this dark corner, you know, and he's in shadow and he he's wakes only up wearing underwear. He's only wearing underwear, of course. And he, he literally just sits up and he's in a daze. He doesn't know who he called. Yeah. You know, he kind of knows what he wants Tommy to do. And right when he hangs up, what does he do? He just lays back down. Like you feel like he's in this, you know, kind of evolution phase, this cocoon phase where he's being transformed or he's going to yeah. come, come through it and be something, something different, you know, or he's just going to die. He's, he said that before. So I don't know. I, I, I really do feel, and again, I'm going more off of the book Wayne right? in, in this speculation than I am the show Wayne, but he started off as a very good person with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who hugs people, you know, he's right. not malevolent from the beginning, but this could be one of those things where, you know, somebody has a hold of a power that they don't fully understand and they are more transformed by that power than they than they are able to control it or to transform it. You know, so maybe he's being turned. Yeah, I was this. thinking maybe it's a supposed to be a physical manifestation of quote unquote the pain that he's hugging away from people. So yeah. like he's that burden is physically manifest and so he's becoming physically tired and physically exhausted. Well, and- th- th- I, I would I would agree with that, except that he has kind of prophesied. He's been involved in kind of looking ahead to the future, right? Using yeah. this language like the bridge and saying that he's foreseen his own death, you know? So he he has engaged in this. So he's not just saying like I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm I'm carrying a lot of burdens. He seems to be a man who's being transformed by this um whatever he's going through, this experience that he's going through. Yeah. Um, and something that uh, Brandon Ambrosino to 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 bring up his article on Vox again, he mentioned he he uh, he wrote about an interesting allegory, or at least that I found interesting, um, where he said that the uh, Wayne and and Christine and the other woman could be an allegory for Abraham, Sarah, and um, Hagar and Hagar, and how uh, Abraham had the two had two. Sons. Uh, sons and you, you know a sort of uh deciphering which one was the true heir yeah which was you know i guess there's no deciphering to it you knew which one it was but we don't right. that's also assuming that there's only two pregnant asian girls right? right there could be more for all we know right which is before i read that that was kind of the assumption i had made that there was more than one because it's not like, I mean, when we f- saw the compound in the first episode or second episode or w- whatever it was, there was like a lot of them there. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I still thought that that was a, that was an interesting reveal when it happened. I think it was something that the more I thought about the more I realized, yeah, Oh yeah, that's, I could see that happening. But then I started thinking about how many girls he has and mm-hmm. is he just keeping that many to, to make sure that one is a boy and that yeah. one will, will kind of, rise up right. you know more than 
than being able to say like you're the one you know he has he has no idea yeah we've realized or something else that i read i'm I'm pretty sure i saw it on reddit with somebody brought up the idea that he could be telling them that it's going to be a boy because he knows that people are going to be looking for a boy baby knowing but he knows it's going to be a girl you know what i mean like yeah he could be doing some sort of like reverse psychology <laughs> thing psychology. you know it's just as and again that Who knows it may seem ridiculous but I, to me that speaks to the ambivalence that the show has has showed so far like you just don't know you just right. don't know what's going on yeah we've had seven episodes six of which were with wayne i still don't know anything about wayne you know he likes being naked. He even references being naked. <laughs> That's true. On the phone. And I think the the uh, last character we really get a focus on is Kevin Garvey Jr. And so there's a lot of father-son parallels throughout the show between him and his dad and him and Tommy. You have Kevin Sr. who's crazy or not, potentially. And then you have Jr. who's either going, starting to go crazy or not. Um, I think it's, you know... There seems to be some discussion around whether or not the... Again, when I watched the episode, I thought the medications his um, uh, senior was picking up and found and eventually got dumped out into the toilet were like... Just like maybe like sleep medicine, anti-depression stuff. Yeah. But then I saw some people who, for whatever reason, thought it was like anti-psychosis stuff that thought like... Maybe Kevin knew he was going crazy, so he got these prescriptions for not going crazy pills. Right. And now that he's thrown them all out, he's really going to start going crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, the one thing that I thought was interesting was that kind of pill throwing down the toilet montage. Yeah. Went on for a long time. It went on longer than I thought it would. And I'm like, this guy has a lot of medication. Like, either this is years of backup medication or yeah, this guy is dealing with something and he at least at one point tried to deal with it head on or maybe he has secretly been dealing with it. We just haven't seen him popping all those pills, you know? And so now that he's throwing them all away, yeah, he may just be giving into the, into, you know, his insanity. Well, that's the thing too, is seven episodes into this show there hasn't been any mention of him taking pills that I exactly. remember. Like exactly. We've seen him drinking. Yeah. But like for a guy that has that many, many pills. Medi- medica- that much medication on his nightstand and his and his, uh, you know, dresser, like there's got to be some indicator of that other than like, I mean, I guess the the dreams. But even then, like, it's not like we've been seeing empty pill bottles. And some around. of those bottles were huge. Yeah. So it's like e- either they are out of date medications, just getting rid of all of them, or yeah, he either had those on hand for when he did start going crazy. Right. So. Um, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of parallel actions between Kevin and Tommy, you know. So they both are smash a phone. Yeah, they both smash their phones, or they both smash phones, other people's phones, actually. Yeah. They both. Enter into other people's homes um, unwelcomed, right? Right. And they both have their left hands injured. So, again, you know, these are things that are being noticed. But the purpose of them is for anyone to decide, I guess. We don't know yet. Um, He's done, people. Justin is done. (laughs) I'm just frustrated. I I just need something to sort of, like, 
like some I just need something. I need something more than here's something weird. Here's another dream sequence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and 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 uh, yeah, that's that's great. It's a great thing to bring up because his dream sequence we talked about a little bit in this episode, where you know it obviously happens at some point when he walks in with his walkie-talkie when it starts and when it ends is up for question. But he has a dream sequence. I mean, I think you could. I think having it start. Uh, first of all, deciding where it started is somewhat trivial. <laughs> But I think having it start with Cairo on the radio is is would be an interesting tie-in for the other things. But I think it it probably would make some sense if uh, well, actually, no, I think it would probably make some sense if it happened before because like the the idea is that he's obviously he he has a dream sequence. He wakes up the next day. There's a dog in the backyard, right? So the dream sequence. He's hearing a dog outside of his front door. It's not the sequence is not going to start as soon as he opens the front door, right? Right. So it's probably has the the dream has probably taken place. It's probably taking place after he's already tied that dog up in the backyard, been bitten or whatever. Right. Um. But anyways, he has this dream sequence. He goes outside. He sees the mysterious hunter again. Hunter's got a dog shoved in the mailbox. Hmm. Kevin doesn't want to shoot it. Looks in the back of the guy's truck. And instead of finding dead dogs, he finds dead, guilty remnant members, including Lori. Which I think pretty soli- pretty much solidifies the... I, I want to say it was at the end of our first episode, but I went back and listened. I couldn't really find it. But I know we talked about it. Someone on Reddit wrote after the first episode, they were making the comparison between the Kevin being um, sort of tortured with killing these feral dogs and not wanting to kill them and making that uh, comparison to the guilty remnant of how, you know, he kind of, uh, he, he probably wants to save the guilty remnant because of his wife at the time, at least, but he knows he's not going to be able to. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think seeing that the swap of that imagery of the guilty remnant in the back of the hunter's truck pretty much, I guess, answers that question maybe although it's not really a question and it's also not really an answer yeah well i mean he's he's angry but as much as you know ghost hunter wants him to shoot the dogs in the dream he can't do it so i guess drawing that parallel you do have that idea of you know as angry as he is at laurie at the guilty remnant um he he will not act against them and in his heart of hearts he doesn't want them dead Right. But what the hunter is going to do, what Dean is going to do to the dogs, he's going to do. You can't stop him. Right. And so, you know, if the guilty remnants are on a course to be ultimately slaughtered, which seems to be his premonition that they are, then the dream seems to be saying there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. But also kind of saying you don't want this to happen either, you know? Yeah, and I think if Dean, like I said in um, Gladys's episode, if Dean is like an ATFEC uh, officer, undercover, undercover, who's mm-hmm. there watching the guilty room, that's a pretty, that's a pretty straight tie-in into what they do to cult members, right? Yeah, murder them and ship them off. But but with that, but that leads me to my biggest question: is like, like dreams, like 
dreams are garbage, right? Like says you. Like we know dreams don't mean anything, right? Uh, They're just we? like a jumbled mess of you know what I mean? Like your dreams don't tell you anything. I don't care like you know what I mean? Like to me analyzing dreams is the same as reading your horoscope. It just is like phony baloney like go, feel good garbage. <laughs> Right? I think I think we walked a fine line of of non-offensive content up until this moment. You now know, there are a lot of look. I have nothing against anybody that reads horoscopes. I'm just saying, like, you can't argue that they're valid. Uh, I mean, right? I mean, what about the whole kind of uh, therapist, you know, kind of psychoanalyzing Freudian, you know, movement of you know, dream analysis. I think to me, dreaming out, dreaming out, it's so like personal and it's so in, individual. You can't like things mean such different things to different people. You can't not have your a, teeth fall on your dream. That means you are vain. Exactly. No, no, no. See, I heard the exact opposite. <laughs> oh, is it, is I heard that, that it's self-esteem issues. If self-esteem you have issues, issues with your teeth, probably. And who knows? I mean, that's the thing. It just is garbage. It's like, it's like dreams. It's like a dream is your brain taking a slow fart when it thinks no one else is in the room. That's all it is. It's just as like your brain is like, all right, we're done for the day. I'm letting all of this out. A dream is a slow fart your brain does when it thinks no one else is in the room. Yeah. That's good. That's what I'm saying. Like dreams are just like, it just is like, you know what I mean? It just is like everything in your brain coming out at once when you can't stop it. It's like, it's like, it's just clearing the pipes it's just yeah, a blast exactly of, okay it's ready for the next day i don't know i think that there are some intelligent people who could um you know debate that with you i'm not going to do it i'm not one of the intelligent people especially when it comes to um psychoanalysis and, yeah but, but i just think using it as like a a way to 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 either you know move forward your plot or to i'm just going to reference my my axe verse again i'm going to say you know biblically it says that's at the end times you know your young men will dream dreams that's true but but with that being said and you know this this will move us into our general impressions of the episode and for me the the season as a whole and the season going for the series going forward but for me for the show to be like and this is the thing. We're kind of at a tipping point because the show could go either way. And for me, for the show going forward, if it takes all of these things and then it is just like, look, if it if it basically turns out to be Damon Lindelof saying, look, I told you this is what the show is about. And all of you dummies went ahead and read into all of this stuff anyways, even though I told you not to, that's what you get, Right. I want the sh- if the show goes on to to be like, look, this National Geographic magazine is only significant because a crazy guy thinks it's significant, and it's actually not significant because that guy is crazy and his son is going crazy, and uh, you know Wayne, who is the leader of a cult, is crazy, and leaders of cults get people to follow them despite how crazy they seem. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want. I want it to ultimately be, at the end of the series, be all of these people thought it was this one thing. Uh, This group of people thought it was the rapture. This group of people thought it was a government conspiracy. And if you spend enough time with those groups of people, they can convince you of it. But ultimately, we don't know. Well, 
I'm I'm sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> I feel I feel like I have I have an argument that I feel pretty good about that kind of disproves that theory. Okay. Or I guess maybe not disproves it, but shows what poor writing it would it would be if they do that. Which are all the other references that you made in that National Geographic article, right? The fact that Christine, when she's waking up from her yeah. sleep or whatever, yeah. references spiders and underwater. Right. Then, if that turns out to be the answer, I'm going to be like, all right, well, Lindelof, thanks a lot for randomly flashing me back to Christine, who mumbles two words that link her to that article. Yeah, Like, they have... They've tipped their hand too much in the coincidence department right. to now say, oh, yeah, everything that seemed like a coincidence, it really was a coincidence. Yeah. Like that, that will just be really poor, poor writing. And that's why I'm saying this show has to be about the rapture, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Right. It won't be. It won't be about what you said before, though. I don't think. No, it it, no, be. no, it's not. Okay. That's okay, what yeah. I was hoping for. Okay. That's what I wanted. I know. But I, I understand that it's not. But you're not going to get it. Right. I okay. know. I get it. But I, I, at this point, my biggest problem with the show, and with this episode specifically, is, like I said, I, I didn't particularly dislike the episode until I sat down to try and write out my thoughts about yeah. it. And, no, I, and then it just became frustrating. Well, yeah. I, I honestly, I liked this episode. Um, I thought it was interesting to watch. I think as we get into our stray observations and things, we'll we'll start to see kind of, you know, some of the the cracks that you and I feel like are there are present. Yeah. And some of these may be a little more, you know, pedantic than we've done before. But um no, I can honestly say, you know, it it was a interesting episode, if nothing else. Yeah. I thought it had strong set pieces in it that I found you know, interesting, intriguing. I like Jill being stuck in the freezer. You know, I like that whole kind of urban legend, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But I'm with you. You know, we... I think the next episode is going to be really interesting to see if Damon Lindelof turns the knob now and says, okay, instead of now deepening these mysteries, these next three episodes are going to be about answering some stuff about reframing some people and about getting us ready for like season two, where maybe we're going to go into a new exploration of this idea and not just a continuation of will Jill still be angry at, you know, uh, her Her father, her dad, will the twins still be wrestling on Jill's floor? You know, (laughs) will Nora still have a gun? You know, hopefully we're not just on continuation mode. I hope Damon Lindelof really goes for it here and says, yeah, I'm answering some stuff in season two. We're going to up the ante. We're going to go somewhere else. Or, hey, I'd love for him to be like, I only have three seasons planned for this. Right. And that is it. But even then, as the same thing they said about Lost, we're only doing five seasons or we've only planned four seasons or whatever. And then it was like, well, ABC really wants us to do more seasons, so we're doing... You know what I mean? It just is like... Look, I'm not going to comment on the compromise or whatever, but it just, is, it just is one of those things where it's like... It's one of those things. You know? Well, hopefully now Damon Lindelof has made his money. I feel like lost. He was still kind of figuring it out. And, you know, 
hey, if I had one really nice, sweet TV gig and somebody was like, hey, some more seasons, I'd probably look at my family. I'd be like, absolutely. All right, we can string that out. Absolutely. So hopefully now Damon Lindelof is like, I don't need this crap. Like, I want to tell this story and I have a really good take on it. So we'll see. You want to move into stray observations? Yeah, let's move into our uh, our observations. Um, and I don't have your notes on mine, so you'll just have to jump in here. Uh, but the first thing I had written down is at, on my second uh, watch of the episode, the first thing I noticed at the very opening when um, uh, Lori is – uh, sees the teenagers, her daughter and the ping pong twins and the right. and Amy. They're putting away groceries in their car. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. What group of teenagers go grocery shopping? <laughs> Especially nihilistic teenagers, well, right? Well, yeah. It, it was funny that you mentioned that because it kind of stood out to me too that it was not. It was like the way that they were putting them in as well. Like it was careful, you know. They're in paper bags. They're in paper bags. It, it's not even like these are just kids who are like throwing their stuff and they're like let's get out of here yeah. they're just like being very thoughtful about the placement and yeah that's funny um i got one yeah kevin laughs mm-hmm. in this episode and to me i wrote down i said it sounded like a robot who doesn't understand laughter <laughs> but is trying to like fit in right it's it's like he didn't even tell a joke he just got into a situation and as he's explaining it, it uh-huh. became funny. And so he tried to like right. join in. Right. His uh his program recognized the the he had <laughs> he had he his program recognized the oh he he was aware of the humor, and so he decided to join in. Access laughter right. file. Initiate <laughs> laughter. And it was like a like a bark. <laughs> yeah. And and so I was like, Well, I mean, we haven't seen that before. I'll take it. Yeah. Kevin laughs. That's a huge character development. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I noticed about Nora, about uh, Nora and um, Kevin's interaction in in, in the, when he goes to her house for the first time, is um, the guilty remnant stealing pictures comes up, and she more or less mocks it, uh, and she says something like, um, you know, is that their recruiting technique or whatever? Yeah. And I thought, <clears throat> I thought that was it. I thought that was interesting if it is like supposed to be an allegory for how the larger community feels about that action or if it's um supposed to be like sort of a byproduct of her having her pain quote-unquote hugged away by wayne yeah i i got the feeling through this whole episode that nora's still kind of riding that wave of a hug Mm -hmm. that's just the feeling that i got i have nothing to back that up but i wrote that down too i I feel like, again, this is another uh, situation where Damon Lindelof is either winking at us and being like, I get it, guys. You know, Nora's like, so what, they steal a bunch of digital photos and I'm supposed to stop talking and start smoking mm-hmm. and take up chain smoking? I'm like, that's exactly it. Okay, so you in some level understand that you have not adequately explained the kind of purpose of the guilty remnant and the people in mapleton don't even fully understand it and so i'm like okay either they're now going that means we're going to get those answers you know because if the people of mapleton are getting frustrated with it 
And how am I going to feel as a viewer? I don't live in Mapleton. I literally watch a show one hour a week, you yeah. know? So if, if they're frustrated and I don't have to be, then don't make me frustrated not understanding these people. Just give me the guilty remnant flashback. Yeah. Just give me the, the, the episode. So to me, it made me hopeful that we are going to get answers on that. Um, by him, including making sure that, you know, a character draws up their frustration with the lack of, of understanding them. But this is also something that kind of bothers me too. And I know that I praised the show for the way it handled Wayne's magical powers. Um, and I still do like the way they handled that. Yeah. But they then handled the pictures getting stolen the same way, where at the end of episode four, is it? Mm. They they steal... There's a huge a, a sequence that is treated fairly importantly, it feels like, with the show at least, where you see the guilty room breaking into people's houses right. and stealing stuff and stealing pictures. And then it's more or less brushed <laughs> off in episode seven with a throwaway line. And it, so it's kind of like, yeah, you get, you get, you're getting kind of an answer to that, like how the community responded to that. Right. But I think the bigger question is, you know, I, I think sort of the, I think the, 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 the jump that the show made between those two episodes, because the very next episode, you see a member of the guilty remnant kidnapped and stoned to death. Right. So I feel like the show is saying this is retaliation for the pic- for the picture thing, right? And then and yet two shows removed from that, we still have no explanation for not only do we have no explanation, we have nobody even addressing that outside right. of flyers that say save Gladys. Like and we're following the chief of police, someone who should be pretty concerned if there's an right. unsolved stoning in his right. community, right? Right. And it's just this kind of like it just feels like, like, and that's part of my frustration. Like, when is, like, when are these, and the timeline has been muddied from the beginning. I don't think that's really as much of an issue. It's just kind of like, when are these things going to be addressed? And, like, I don't want Gladys's stoning to just be, like, you know, Dennis from the police office is just, like, you know, crazy that the GR stoned their own girl or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? It just is, like. And I'm sure it'll be addressed eventually. Yeah. It just is weird that we have since experienced two hours of showtime and it's literally not even come up. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'll jump to this. This was a later uh, observation I had written down later, but I, I feel like it fits here, which is, you know, we see in this episode, uh, Kevin chasing his father through a huge kind of picket protest of guilty remnant members. Yeah. And they're protesting basically the save us campaign because they're holding up the save us yeah. with just don't right written across it, which I feel like is so save childish them. or is it save us? It might be save us. I think I thought it was save, save them. them. Yeah. yeah. Sa- sa- save them. And, uh, I feel like save us would be more antagonistic towards and Matt needs to hire me as his, uh, <laughs> yeah. PR guy. And I feel like it's childish too that they wrote don't on there. It's kind of like just right. the childish retort of like, no, you are, right. you know, um, <laughs> don't. Yeah. But, but then I also, it, it kind of hit me. I'm like, do they realize that they're protesting the activity of literally six people? Right. You know, the, the <laughs> actions of Matt and his small congregation go out and plaster those on one wall in Mapleton. And that yeah. gets the whole guilty remnant out. In the middle of the street, protesting, 
to nobody. Yeah. Nobody cares. To two guys on the sidewalk. <laughs> who yeah, like, nothing who may just be crossing the street. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then it made me think like so is this what living in remembrance is all about? Yeah. Taking umbrage with literally anybody right. who says something about you or against you, um, however small. And then I also thought, yeah, is this the reaction of like the guilty remnant who's in the middle of, you know, whether people has have been stoned or whatever. It's like, well, people, we need to stop this Matt guy. Uh, to me, it just seems so small and kind of silly. It, it made me view all of their activity as exactly that small and silly right you know stealing the the um the photos no one should be more hurt than nora and i know she had her pain hugged away yeah but even so she's like she just kind of shrugs at it yeah. and so does kevin kevin doesn't seem to be he's, he doesn't even say right. like oh yeah the amount of calls that we get every day about people it seems like most people in mapleton have kind of generally shrugged at it right like, okay yeah um so I, I I was like, did that stand out to you too that their protest, what gets them out is a protest against Yeah, well, one well guy? it stood out to me just because I, I liked the visual. Um, I just liked the visual aspect of, of uh, Chief Garvey walking through the sea of Guilty Remnant and then, and then holding up the posters. But I think I liked that because it reminds me or it reminded me of what I of how I feel the guilty women are best served in the show, and that is just as background noise. Yeah, like I don't want to be in their headquarters. I don't right. want to follow them around. I I wouldn't mind like we had a Matt centric episode. I don't think I would mind a Patty centric episode yeah. that sort of maybe follows her through a day or through you know uh, whatever time span. But I think the guilty remnant. Um, as well as Matt's group are going to be best served as sort of like background factions that you see more or less going at each other, but you never spend any time with, and you never really have to think about. Yeah. They're just sort of this weird backdrop that exists now because of this event. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why I like that, but I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a snake eating its tail, right? It's like these two at this point, these two sort of factions only exist to kind of rebuff each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like GRs find their found their nemesis. Yeah, in Matt. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Uh, my my final question for you too, they have about the Guilty Remnant is, um, do you think Nora could ever join the Guilty Remnant? I don't think so. You know, I I could see that as a. Like you mentioned earlier, I could see that as a, I really only planned for three seasons of this, but HBO wants six. So now we're going to come up with some stuff. That's more or less what that seems like to me. Yeah. I feel like they've already done it with Meg as the person yeah. who you're like, oh, she'd never join the guilty right. remnant. Oh, she joined the guilty remnant. You know, they can't do it again. And that's but... another one. Meg, like Meg had oh. this whole life. Oh, I She had a fiance Meg. and now like that's just uh, over. I, I was okay. I was going to bring this up too. Um, what G- Meg? The episode ends on her gossiping, right? And so I wanted to be like, so is that part of their by rules to like, you know, like go out and follow these people? Oh, and by the way, if you have any juicy gossip <laughs> yeah. on them, definitely come back and yeah. share. 
And then I was like, does that show that just Meg is not guilty remnant material? Yeah, like the she fact- still just doesn't get it. Right. She's like, oh my gosh. She's been with him for eight months, but she still really doesn't know what she's doing. Right. She still just wants to dish on everybody. Right going on it maybe that's her hook to the guilty you go through all of meg's like itineraries that she's collected on people and it's just like did you see what she was wearing (laughs) gross uh yeah Yeah. and doesn't that go did we talk about i don't think we did but um you know what about people's motivations right that was something that hit me in this episode too tommy and Lori have both had yeah opportunities to leave the cults that they are with and have had good reasons to do so. You know, Lori with the gift and going home that one time. She sits out her outside her home. And I would you know, say I would say Tommy more so than Lori just because Tommy's alone. And and right? Tommy's never been hugged by, exactly. by Holly Wayne. So Tommy to me, really has no reason not to stay with Wayne. Well, yeah. Or, or to stay with Wayne, I should say. <laughs> right. And so that's that's what hit me like square in the face this episode where i'm like okay tommy is acting like a a victim of abuse almost you know like i could never go home that's you know but seems like home is a loving pretty loving place he's going to be welcome back but instead he's choosing to follow this guy who's giving him zero reason to do so and i like you said at the beginning they're like oh this is a study of grief and a character study or whatever Tommy is as no as unknowable as anybody else. Where I'm like, why is he doing the things that he's doing? Any character study, quote unquote, I think would have actually tried to address a little better about what his connection is. Yeah. In the book, Tommy's connection is kind of to Christine. Mm-hmm. You know? And they make that they don't make that overt in the book, but they hint at it way better than they do here. Yeah. You kind of get the idea here that they're kind of like uh, siblings that don't get along. They kind of spat and mm-hmm. fight, you know, with each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you don't feel a strong connection between the two of them, right? You know, and you see Christine is kind of a blank. Sl- she still seems like part of that brainwashed cult. She's still just talking, you know, wide-eyed about Wayne, and it just got really frustrating. Now that Tommy would be sitting there for two weeks getting more and more frustrated and still lack the initiative to take a step out on his own and be like, I'm going, I'm, I got $6,000. Exactly. I'm going yeah. home. Yeah. And that was kind of my point. Tommy has $6,000. Like, <laughs> what is he doing? Why, Why are they in an abandoned warehouse in Gary, Indiana? Why has it taken them? I mean, obviously they're going somewhere. Maybe the, I guess maybe they don't know what their ultimate destination is, but if they have $6,000, why are they not there? Why are they not where they need to be? Whether that's with Wayne in New York City, where he was in the last episode, at least. You know what I mean? Like, right. what is taking them so long to get from Texas to New York? And and why is Tommy running into the kitchen as if he's running from the other side of a big house? <laughs> when really the room he's in is like an extension of the kitchen. Right. That that soup had been left on that stove for a while. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He literally burned his hand multiple times Mo- picking both up soup. Hands. And then within 15 seconds, he's offering it to a woman who's eight months pregnant. That soup is so hot. It just burned his hand. And then he's like, here, just take it. It's just like, take it. That soup is going to be incredibly hot. Right. I want to know what he was doing that he, he forgot about the soup. I mean, literally... 
they were like sitting within arm's reach of the soup. <laughs> yeah. How did how do you yeah. let it let it go? And that's not even how you cook soup. You don't put soup on the stove and then turn your stove all the way up. Right. right? You like barely have to turn your stove on to warm up soup. It doesn't Tommy take doesn't that much know, heat. Man. I guess not. Um and the, and uh my last point before I recommend some some articles is why does Kevin Senior have a prepubescent Justin Bieber haircut? Like I know that's a piddly thing to to mention, mm-hmm. but it's like that haircut is so weird for him for an old man <laughs> to have, right? Like his hair neither it either needs to be really super long. Or he needs to just have a normal old man haircut. Yeah, it's 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 it is it's unnerving to me. Well, I just I just remember the Onion article where there uh, the headline was like Justin Bieber discovered to be forty five year old man <laughs> in like young boys makeup or whatever uh-huh. with a mask, and I do feel like a senior could be a, a good. He they could just use his picture in that onion right. article. And <laughs> yeah. Be like, yep. There he yeah. is. Yeah. That haircut is just so such a weird choice. Yeah. Right. Um. I have a few others I can run through quickly yeah. if you want. All right. So really quickly, uh, there's a scene in the library uh, where Kevin is tracking his father. I feel like his father is like Godzilla. Like he's following this like <laughs> trail of destruction. Yeah. Through the library or whatever, and there are a lot of books he he got he threw on the floor. I mean, he went he, buck wild. He in the went library. buck wild in multiple sections. Um, but I, you know, Kevin Junior walks by literally three employees in the library, and then goes and talks to the one who does not speak English. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And he obviously does not speak good Spanish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why did Tommy run to the post box? Yeah. He could not have looked, drawn more attention right, to himself. Right, exactly. And it did look like he was putting a bomb underneath yeah, there. Yeah, right. He's got a big package that's covered in tape, and then he gets out of his car and sprint. And, like, and not only that, like, there's nobody around. No He's one. in, like, an abandoned block in Gary, Indiana, like, the, the, the on, only second to Detroit in terms of, like, cities that are completely ruined like <laughs> exactly no one even cares first of all if he's taping anything to that post office <laughs> yeah, right. to that post office box anyways but yeah he gets out and he sprints and he it's like sprints. there's nothing you can do that's going to make you look more suspicious than sprinting somewhere right and and if i'm watching you do that i'm either like oh that's a bomb or if it doesn't explode i'm gonna be like oh i bet you put drugs or money in there <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna go take it yeah what about uh kevin I want to give him congratulations on his first authentic oh, right. F U right. of the season. Every other one paled in comparison right. to the platonic ideal that we witnessed right. when Matt starts to quote scripture at him again and he just kind of tiredly and defeatedly yeah. says F you. It was finally a good one from Kevin Garvey, right? Yeah, I did really like that you moment. You did it, Kevin. Yeah. You laughed. You got it. Seven, and you got an authentic. Seven hours in, you figured it out. <laughs> I've been misusing this word. <laughs> it's a powerful word. That's all I got. Yeah, and, and real quickly, uh, I wanted to recommend Miles McNutt did a write up for the AV Club. Alan Seppenwald did his usual write up for Hit Fix. And Brandon Ambrosina did his usual write up for Vox, which we rely heavily on for our episodes. And they were all 
exceptionally good this week. And so I, I think we would both recommend that you go read those. Um, you know, the AV Club and the Hit Fix ones are more kind of um, breaking down their feelings on the show, which I agree with. Whereas um, Brandon at Vox does a really good job of sort of deciphering things and pulling things out. One of which we didn't talk about because I didn't feel like it was, was a very prominent um, theme in the show. Although he talks about a lot is the connection to, to John 316. Yeah. But again, I think it just it just speaks to like there was so much in this episode that was introduced and not explained. It was kind of like a lot of the stuff he mentioned. I literally, I literally watched the show twice before I read his write-up and I didn't pick up on any of them. Right. So that's not, that's why they're not in here because right. it just was like, I just didn't see those things, you know? Yeah. So with that being said, that is the uh, end of this week's show. We will, uh, this one's coming out a little bit later than normal due to just some scheduling stuff, but hopefully our our, our next episode will be out Monday night or Tuesday morning, uh, the Monday or Tuesday after the show airs on Sunday. So uh, that's it. We'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>